Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. We recently just celebrated our independence, the 4th of July. And I want you for just a moment to think about what the 4th of July means. Not so much in context, because I'll get to that in a second. But for the 4th of July, here's what we do. We spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars, or we don't. And we see fireworks, and they're beautiful, and everyone does, does what? Ooh! Ah, oh, wow. And, and, and it's a beautiful, spectacular thing. Now, if you don't drive and see fireworks, you know, you might see them around your house or you can definitely hear them, but you know what's going on. We're shooting off fireworks and fireworks are beautiful. The colors are spectacular. But I want you for just a moment, because I'm going to talk about the Declaration of Independence, but for just a moment, I want you to think of these fireworks. I'm going to, I'm going to try to insert something in your brain. The fireworks are beautiful, ooh and ah, but they only last for just a moment. And when the smoke clears and you look up, what do you see? The beautiful stars that are lasting forever. And I wonder how many times at night we look and go, ooh, ah, look at the stars. God, you're amazing. You see, they're not colorful. They're not brilliant. They're not radiant. They're just our stars. But they're faithful. In the Declaration of Independence, guys, in our history, this is a document many years ago that was approved by the Continental Congress. It was on July 4th, 1776, and it announced that there were 13 separation of 13 North American British colonies from Great Britain. It was a time where Americans sought their independence and freedom for Great Britain. You see, the Declaration of Independence was written largely by Thomas Jefferson. And I love Thomas Jefferson because he displayed a a talent as a political philosopher. Now, one of his most famous statements that Jefferson ever wrote was this. He says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In other words, according to the Declaration of Independence, we are created by God. We are endowed by this Creator with the rights to life. You go, Ben, what does that mean? Well, it means we have, a, we have rights that cannot be denied by any other authority. We have the right to life. That's the Declaration of Independence. He says, you are also created by God with the right to freedom. You see, the U.S. government was established on the foundation that liberty must be protected and preserved from the tyrannical forces who would seek to impose their will on the individual. Thomas Jefferson described the term liberty in the Declaration of Independence as, quote, unobstructed action according to our will within the limits drawn around us by the equal rights of others. I do not add within the limits of the law, because the law is often but the tyrant's will, and is and always so when it violates the rights of the individual. End quote. That's what Thomas Jefferson wrote. 
In modern day, liberty is defined as the state of being free within society from oppressive restriction opposed by authority on one's life of on one's way of life, behavior, or political views. We should be free. That's what they said. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, boy, every one of these words, we're, we're they're violate right now. I mean, our right to life and our right to. But he also says this. He says, we were created by God with the right to pursue happiness. You go, Ben, what does that mean? Well, here's the thing. I think most people think pursue in that phrase means chasing happiness. In other words, the, the, the phrase is in hot pursuit. And it would mean that the pursuit of happiness has to do with seeking it or going after it somehow, the pursuit of happiness. Well, how does this differ from what our nation's founders meant when the Declaration of Independence was written. Well, it was Arthur Schlesinger should be credited with pointing out, now you've got to grasp this, in a little essay in 1964 that that at the time of the Declaration's composition, the pursuit of happiness did not mean chasing or seeking it, but it actually meant practicing happiness, the experience of, of happiness. Not just chasing it, but actually catching it. Now, according to this document, we are endowed to these rights. The life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yet, I would declare to you that Paul, in writing to the Philippians, had a different mindset than those of our forefathers. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. Listen, Paul does not exhort us in these four chapters to pursue happiness. He's not saying, hey, listen, you you all need to be, listen, he's not the Bobby McFerrin singing, you know, don't worry, be happy. This is your life. Don't worry, be happy. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is looking at us, and he knows the circumstances in your life. He knows the trials you're facing, and he says, I want you to be holy. I want you to pursue joy. That's a whole lot different. That's a whole lot different. Don't chase or be in hot pursuit of joy. He says, more like, let's begin practicing joy. Let's begin experiencing joy. You've got to think about this for just a moment. Church, this is a challenge because it changes the way you think each and every day. It changes how each circumstance affects you. I want you to think of the circumstances in your life, and I want you to think how you react. You see, first and foremost, whatever circumstances, whatever trial, whatever is facing you, your immediate reaction is how you communicate that to yourself. We forget what God has told us, and we have to remember what God has communicated to us about these circumstances. But the third thing is what the devil communicates to us. And that's what steals our joy. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Who are you tuned into? And so again, Paul says, no, no, no. I would love for you at Calvary Chapel Lubbock to experience joy. Joy. Now, as we come with our hearts and our minds open to this amazing book, we must understand the terms that Paul is trying to teach us through the Holy Spirit. You go, what's that? 
Being happy is all about circumstances, isn't it? All about circumstances. In other words, if you are blessed with a free cup of coffee today, oh, it makes your day. <laughs> I got coffee. Man, and I ordered Da Vinci. I got coffee. How's it going? Man, I'm having a great day. If you were going to work and you hit every green light, whoa, this is, I'm, whoa. If you went to work and some old man or old lady got in front of you, didn't get in front of you and slowed you down, you're excited. Hey. Everything is about circumstances, guys. If you were to walk into work tomorrow and they said, hey, you got a raise. What? Wow. I feel like Clark Griswold going, we could put in that new pool. All right. <laughs> it's all about circumstances. I think of my little granddaughter, my nine-year-old granddaughter. Whenever she has a series of good things that Grandpa gives her, if we have ice cream and we go here and we end up at the park and so forth, you know what she says? This is the best day ever. Not knowing that the next day, you know, there's other stuff and other stuff. But that's how we are as humans. Guys, our happiness is all about our circumstances. Now, the opposite of that is if you get a nice big cup of coffee. Like, like in other words, if you outdrive your friend and he has to buy you Dutch Brothers and you get the large coffee and you're just like, yes! And then it spills in your car? That's happened to me. I just watched the coffee and just tears came down. I was just like... And then I got a straw, and I was in the... <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But then it doesn't make a good day, does it? And that's how we feel almost every Monday. We're like, oh, it's Monday. Everything goes wrong on Monday. It's Monday. And, 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 and so, circumstances. Circumstances create happiness, but joy from the Lord only comes with the relationship with Jesus. You see, the joy of the Christian experience is the dominant theme that's running throughout the book of Philippians. You see, the word joy or rejoice is used 16, some say 19 times throughout this epistle. So it's all about joy. Now, I have to give you a disclaimer. Since we're a Bible-teaching church, if you were to look up the word joy in the book of Philippians, it's actually made up of two Greek words. Now, I don't give you the Greek words to blow your mind to tell you that I'm a great theologian and I talk and I speak Greek. I'm giving you this because there's something very pertinent to this. The first Greek word is chara, C-H-A-R-A, and it means calm, delight, gladness, joyful, cheerfulness. But it's also made up of a second word, which is charo, C-H-A-R-O, and it means cheer or calmly happy. You're like, oh, okay. You go, Ben, why are you pointing this out? Here's why. Uh, several years back, there was a local church here in Lubbock, a very vibrant, growing church, that did a series, and it was called, God Wants You to Be Happy. 
and he was studying the book of Philippians. And I was, I, I tuned in. I was like, really? Because I've all my, I don't know, God wants me to be happy. Okay. And the pastor used this word interchangeably. You see, it means joy, rejoice. But it says calmly happy. Now, I started to think about this, and I think, well, okay, let me present it to the church, because, because more often than not, it's not that God wants you to be happy. He says he, he wants the joy from the inside to radiate to the outside. Now, think about this. Think about this. I don't think God is in heaven desiring all y'all to just be happy. I don't think God's up there with the, Michael, the archangel, and Gabriel going, man, you know what, if I could just get, if I could just get Francis to be a little bit more happier, that would, just, that, that would make my day. How do you think he could just be happier? I know, let's bring him Julie. That'll make him happy. God's not concerned about that. You understand that. Because he's more concerned with, how do I make my servant, my son, Francis, whole? How do I make him whole? Yet I don't believe that God is upstairs going, well, you know what? Y'all are too happy. You keep smiling. You keep laughing. Christians are not allowed to have fun. Therefore, you need to be sad all the time. That's not God either. And so we have to find the balance. And the balance is found in the book of Philippians, where it conveys a powerful message of the secret of joy. And although Paul faced severe hardships, poverty, beatings, illnesses, and even his current imprisonment, Every circumstance he had learned to be content, and he learned true joy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You see, the book of Philippians, as Paul is writing, is to mirror our lives with Paul. To mirror our lives with Paul. And in Paul, I mean, whether it's severe hardships, if it's poverty, it's anything else, he learned. Okay? Just so I know you're paying attention, everybody say learned. Because we need to learn this i got to be honest with you, I fight my thoughts all the time, whether it be negative or positive, I fight them. Most of the time, it's like, oh, I can't believe it. We do. For example, when Nathalie and I went on a date, and we sat out in the, waiting for them to call us, and it was 40 minutes later, and we walked up to the thing, and we said, hey, you have our names? And she's like, no, we don't have your name, or we don't have your phone number. At that point, I didn't choose to have joy. And my wife graciously grabbed my hand and smashed it down like this. Because again, it was like, wait, what? We've been out here for 40 It's hot, it's humid, I'm hungry, I'm getting hangry, hello? See, I had a choice in that circumstance. And, but I need to learn joy. You go, Ben... Where do we learn this? Well, think about this for a second. The source of joyous contentment is rooted in knowing Jesus Christ. But my question to you, church, honestly, and if you'll honestly answer this, do you know Jesus? 
Do you know him? You see, you see, listen, we know a lot about God. We know a lot about him. But Paul is saying, do you know him? First and foremost, do you know him intimately? Intim- I was thinking about this this morning. Intimately is where, where, where you share your deepest, darkest secrets, your struggles, your goals, your Lord. When you do that with your wife, when you share intimacy like that, there shouldn't be any type of um, judgment. Your wife's not going to look at you, you're dumb, what's wrong with you? It's, it's intimacy. She's going to, in the same way. Do you know Jesus that way? Do you know where, where, do you know him? Think about this, guys. Do you know him personally? To where you're talking to God, where you're walking with, hey, you know, where people think you are crazy because you're constantly praying and you're just talking to God and they think you're talking to yourself. That's how, but, but it's personal. Do you know him that way? Do you know him as a friend? As a friend. You know what happens, right? What's the first thing you do when something exciting happens in your life? Who's the first person you want to call? Probably your spouse or whoever it might be. Oh, you won't believe this. This is great. This is good news. I got a raise or whatever it might be. And, and, and I wonder, do you, do you run to God like that? God. God, somebody bought my coffee at Starbucks. Good job. You know, and you just run off. Have any of you ever had a good friend that suddenly became your boss? Anyone? That's hard, isn't it? Because you've got a good friend. You're, you're kicking it, man. And all of a sudden, he's your boss. And that's how I felt sometimes in ministry. I walked with God, and we were great friends. And all of a sudden, God became my boss. And I'm just like, I don't know how to relate to him this way now. Lord, I need to know you as my friend. Now, that's not God's fault. God says, Ben, I've always been your friend. Don't relate to me as your boss. Relate to me as who I am. You know Jesus. Why? Because this is, why, this is where we truly find everlasting joy. We find it in this life and the life to come. Listen to the way Paul puts it. Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 9. Now, it's probably going to show in the New King James Version up here. I'm sorry about that. I couldn't get the NLT. It just wouldn't give it to me. But I'm going to read it in the NLT. But I think Joseph can put it up there. It's Philippians 3. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing, there it is, Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. What is Paul saying? He's saying, think about this. Everything I have, everything I knew, everything I owned, I considered it as rubbish, garbage, for knowing Jesus. The word knowing there, really, it's this. It's gnosis, and it means to experience him to experience Him, to feel Him, to be aware, to perceive, and to understand. Paul says, man, I just knew Christ so much. I could, 
I could smell him. I could feel his breath on me. I just knew his presence. I just knew it, and I walked with that all the time. I knew him. I knew him. So whenever we come to a book like this, in order for you to understand, I need to give you some background so you get a good feel of what's going on. So I'm going to give you some main facts. You can jot these down. Who is the author? Well, the author is um, the Apostle Paul. And this is one of four prison epistles. Okay? Now, think about this. This is Paul. And again, we've hung out with Paul a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about him um, but, but this is the one he writes. Most scholars believe this letter was written around 62 AD when Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Who's he writing to? Now, here's what you've got to put the mindset on. Paul wrote to believers in Philippi with whom he shared a close, personal, special affection. So understand, the letter's written a little bit different than that of Galatians. Galatians, he's trying to refute something that's coming in the church. He's the shepherd and go, oh, whoa, 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 the Judaizers are coming in. Stop it. This is more like, guys, I love you. I'm going to write you a letter. So in your mind, and you're taking note, you could say, this is a love letter from Paul to me. It's a love letter. Do you remember before technology, we had love letters? Do you remember? Ah, oh, I love love letters. It took some time to write a love letter. Craig, I want you to write a love letter to your wife this week, okay? All right. We missed that. What do we do? We send a text. Emoji, emoji, heart, heart, love you, emoji, heart, oops, done. Could you imagine? All right, everybody turn in the book of Philippians. It's four emojis and a heart. This is from Paul. Amen. Let's go home. It's the mindset, right? It's the mindset. Some key characters in the book of Philippians, obviously Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, these are major personalities here in the book of Philippians. Now, let's talk about the author for just a moment. I know we just finished the book of Ephesians, but labor again um, for those who may not know. Here we have the author, and then he gives us the reason. I want you to think this. Now, in order to fully understand, please put yourself in Paul's sandals. He wrote the letter to the Philippians. It's his love letter to express his gratitude and affection for this church his strongest supporters in the ministry. And scholars agree that Paul drafted the letter during his two years under house arrest in Rome. Now, I want you to think about this moment of Paul. Paul's in prison. He's under house arrest. Now, to you and I, if we've never been in prison or we've never been under house arrest or we've never had anything like that, it's hard for us to grasp. But Paul is in prison. Paul has been accused of doing nothing, of, 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 uh, he didn't anything wrong and he's being accused of doing everything wrong. Paul's got an ankle, he's got one of those house monitors on his leg. He can't go out, he can't go to the grocery store, or else he's going to beep, right? He's, he's under house arrest. How do you find joy, church, when you're falsely accused? Oh, joy! You said a falseness against me. How do you find joy when you've been arrested? All right, put your hands on the corner. Whoa, 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 what's going on? When you've been beaten. When you've been slapped. When you've been stoned. 
with rocks. When you've been left for dead, where's the joy in that? Well, that's what we're about to find out. So what does Paul do? Paul establishes this little church in Philippi. He, he approximately, about 10 years prior to this, and during his second missionary journey, this is where he established the church. This is actually recorded in Acts chapter 16. So let's go to Acts 16. We're going to pick it up in verse 11 because I want you to get a feel good. You need to know the background. And, and here's the writing. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace. And the next day we came to Neapolis. And from there we, uh, from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we're staying in that city for some days. Now, just for you, if you want to know, Macedonia right now is modern-day Greece. And if you look in the map, it's on modern-day Greece, and it's right off the coast. So if you were to go to Greece today, you could come into where, where Philippi was. Well, how did it get its name? Well, the city was founded by King Philip, King Philip of Macedonia. But King Philip has an interesting story. He was actually the father of Alexander the Great. And if you've been with us through our Daniel study, you go, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. That's when Greece comes. Wow! But this is Philip. So, so what does he do? He comes in, and he, sits, and, he, and, he, and he says, hey, there's nobody here. What do you think we should call the city? Philip. Philippi, Phil, Philip, Philippi, that's it, we're going we're gonna to name the silly Philippi, right? And he names it after himself. Well, think about this. Phil, Phil it, was a, it was a Roman colony, it was a military outpost with special privileges. It was on the coast, and the name was Philippi. This is what Paul says. Look at verse 13 in X. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city to Riverside, where prayer was customly made. And we sat down and we spoke to the woman who met there. Now, to have a synagogue, you had to have 10 believing Jews. Apparently, Paul went in there. There wasn't a synagogue. There might have been, but they kicked him out. So what does he do? He goes find where the prayer meeting is. And what does he see? What does he write? Think about this. What is, he says, there was, there, was, there was a woman named Lydia who heard us. So think about it. He sat down and spoke to the women who met there. What does that tell me? Women have a great heart for prayer. Women have a great heart for prayer. Men, we can learn a thing or two if we'll listen to our wives about prayer. We can listen. We see their hearts. Their hearts are praying. Wow. And so there's Lydia. They're on the riverside, right? So think about this. She was the seller of purple from a city called Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord, now say, everybody say the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So you need to understand that from this pulpit, it's God opening your heart, and you go, oh, and when I give an invitation, that's when people go, I need to get saved. I need to get saved. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And the Lord opened their heart. Every time I go speak for somebody, I always pray, Lord, open their hearts. It's not me. It's not me. I'm telling you, there are times... I'll go, I don't even know what I'm saying. Anybody want to get saved? And we'll have a dozen people get saved. I'm like, because God does that. God does that. He lets me be a small part of that, but God does that. 
And so the Lord opened their heart and he heeded the things of Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. That's another thing women can do. They can persuade us. Paul's probably like, nah, we can't go. Okay, we're going. Paul is in Philippi. He attends a prayer meeting. God shows up and a church begins as a result. Now let me give you some application, okay? Both for us as a church and for you individually. Number one, as a church, prayer is going to be the center of our church here at Lubbock. Prayer is the nucleus of how we live. We have prayer meeting every Thursday from 12 to 1. We have second Sunday prayer meeting where we gather as a church. But prayer, this is the only way we grow through is prayer. And so we gather to pray. But I want to ask you a question. As a believer, individually, prayer should be the center of your walk with God. Prayer should be the center. I love to read his word. I love to get his word. I love to worship. I love to sing. All of these things. But the center of, let me just say it this way, the beating of your heart should be prayer. and talking to God. What does prayer encompass? It encompasses worship, doesn't it? Because first and foremost, you have faith. Who are you praying to? You know God's listening, so you're praying that way. But number two, it's worship. It's worship. And then you get to talk to God. Now, let me say something about prayer real quick, and then we'll move on. Make sure prayer is not a dialogue. Or, I'm sorry, a monologue. Monologue. It's not you just going, God, and then you run off to... It's, it's a mo- you're, you're, you're having a dialogue. You pray, you listen, He speaks, you back and forth. That should be prayer. Make sure we're not praying, church. Make sure we're not praying to impress others. Lord God, Thou hast holiest God in heaven. I beseech Thee in the name of... You know, everybody's like, wow, that dude can pray. Sometimes we just pray. It's in our heart. Lord, You are good. Good to the last drop. You, you know, I mean, we just, we just pray. We just pray. You are better than Maxwell House, Lord. Just pray. Verse 16 says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned to her and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her! And he came out that very hour. But when the master saw that that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace and to authorities. Can you imagine the scene? Paul and... I mean, mean, think about this, guys. Paul... And here's the little girl. And just annoying. Just a no, you know, it's like, you know, and he's just like, oh, go away. We're trying to do ministry here. And she, and then finally he's like, okay, I've had enough. Come on out of her, right? And 
And so here's this girl in her right mind, finally. And the people of the city said, there goes our prophet. Are you kidding me? And look what they do. Okay, look what they do. They bring Paul and Silas, and they, notice that word, drag them to the marketplace. And they brought them to the magistrate. These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. Yeah, your pocketbooks, buddy. And they teach customs that are not law for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Notice verse 22. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Hold up. What did I do? Well, you cast the demon out. That's just wrong. You stole our prophet. Now we don't have this demon girl running around telling us, telling, giving fortunes. What's, what's up with that? So, I mean, you see the severity of this, which is silly. Like, like, Paul didn't kill anybody. Paul didn't, you know, ransack the whole city. He simply went, you know what? I'm tired of you, little girl. Stop it. In Jesus' name, come out of her. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And what did they do? They beat him. They beat him. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fasted their feet with their stocks. Here's what the Lord spoke to me. Imagine the conversation of, with Paul about church planting in heaven. Okay? So Paul plants this church, and there he is, and, and he says, okay, so we're planting, I'm telling you about Jesus, and the next thing you know, he's trying to minister to the body. He casts out a demon. Next thing you know, the magistrates are tearing their clothes off, which is really weird, but they beat the tar out of Paul. You understand that, right? So later on in life, right, I'm standing in line in heaven. Just happy to be here. Hey, there's a guy in front of me. I'm like, hey, how you doing? How are you, son? I'm great. He says, oh, what did you do for the Lord? I said, oh, man, you wouldn't believe this. I was a pastor. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I literally planted a church in Lubbock. And he goes, oh, tell me about your experience. Oh, it was hard. Are you kidding me? Planting a church in Lubbock was super hard. I mean, he goes, wow, well, what kind of heartache did you have? Well, you know, we, we first met in a clubhouse, and that was really rough. You know, we, we only had a few people, and people wouldn't come. I was, like, I was like super bummed for a while. You know, I remember when we first planted church, I would eat a gallon of ice cream just to drown my... Sorry, I'm just like, that. Oh, oh, I understand. What else? Well, and then we moved into a little bigger place, and, and we were hoping for rent, and God made the rent, and, and still people wouldn't come, and I just don't understand why, and I was preaching the gospel, and yeah, oh, oh. Well, was there any persecution? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the, the, the live stream wouldn't work. And, 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 and then when Pastor Sof preached, the microphone popped. Oh, oh, tell me more. Well, you know, I mean, that's, yeah, we, we finally got a bigger, we got us good. Yeah, oh. I, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm the Apostle Paul. And his church planting was a little bit different than ours. Well, what did you do? Well, I planted a church in Philippi, and they beat me half to death. I think you guys understand the point I'm trying to make. Our circumstances, the things that we hold dear, 
It's like, wow, Paul. But I also think this. I also think this for just a moment, right? Can you imagine the invitation to become a believer in Paul's day? Can you imagine? You go, what do you mean? He says, hey, Jesus is the only way to heaven. He will give you peace and joy. He'll save your soul. The only thing is, you might be beaten for your faith. Say, say, say what? You might lose your friends. You might even lose your life. You might end up in prison. I want you to think about this real hard. You might have no money. You'll end up with no life. Now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you would like to pray to receive Christ? I don't think not many hands, right? I mean, you think about that, but on the contrary, people took their faith seriously. They knew that following Jesus was far better than anything here on earth. So after presenting the gospel, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, it might cost you everything. Who's in? How many of us would go, I'm in. I'm in. He means, listen, oh, oh, this is... Listen, think about it, guys. We don't follow Jesus because He's going to make our life better. We follow Jesus because He's better than life. That's why we follow Jesus. Hey, how many of you want to be a believer? How many of you want to be Christians? And listen, here, here's what happens if you become a Christian. It's like country music played backwards. You get your dog back, you get your house back, you get your car back, you get all of that stuff. You, you understand that? That's not, the, that's not the gospel. The gospel message is you'll be persecuted. You'll suffer hardship. People won't like you. What? I want everybody to like me. No. Your bosses will turn you down for that promotion. It, it, it's a real battle. Oh, it's a real battle out there. So, so where do we find Paul? He's in, he's in prison. He's in stocks. And, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And right there blows my mind. They're beaten, left for dead, now in prison, and they're singing to God. You know what my song would be? Get me out of here soon. I mean, I don't know what it would be. That's, that's the anthem of my heart sometimes. Lord, get me out of this. But Paul and Silas are singing to God. I want what Paul has. There's something he has that I don't. What is it? And the prisoners were listening to them. I can imagine every prisoner there was like, are you kidding me? Okay, let me do a quick inventory, a quick, quick start. How many of you right now, if you were put in, beat, you were beat, now you're in prison, would you be singing to God at midnight? Hold up now, call my lawyer, get me out of here. I mean, whatever we need to do, but, but I'm just like, wow, wow. Suddenly there was a great earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaking and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Woo, we're saved! And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Don't harm yourself, for we're all here. And he called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. 
He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and your household. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him, all who were in his house. They took him that same hour that night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into the house, he set his food, he set his food before him, and rejoicing, having believed God with all his household. Let me tell you one thing. The jailer got saved because of Paul's joy, because of Paul's mindset. You see, the jailer had been hearing Paul probably preach and sing. And he went to sleep listening to Paul and Silas sing. Right? Maranatha's top 40. And he gets saved. And you know what jumped off the pages of scriptures, Craig? You know what jumped off? It's one thing for me to proclaim the gospel, but it's a whole other thing for people to see me live the gospel. The radiant joy that Paul had. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This cat, What kind of God is this? When you got saved, you were endowed with a great responsibility to represent Jesus. So every, every, every circumstance... You, you have to make a choice. How am I going to react? How am I going to react? Who's watching? Who's listening? Who sees me? Who doesn't? How am I going to react? Let me just say this. Let me let you off the hook for a second. We blow it more times than not. But we need to learn. Okay, okay, Lord. Okay, okay. So here's where the church started. Ten years later, Paul's writing this letter. Now again, let me give you the landscape, okay? Paul's under house arrest. He's a prisoner in Rome. He already got beaten for starting the church, and now he's under house in Rome, yet he's full of of joy. He's full of thankfulness. Paul wrote to encourage his fellow servants living in Philippi. One of the major trade routes there in Europe and Asia, and Philippi was the chief commercial center of a mixture, listen, of different nationalities, religions, social levels. And here's what you need to know. Most likely, Philippi was made up mostly of Gentiles. And I love that. Why? Because we can all relate. And he reminds us, guys, that joy in the Christian life is all about perspective. It's all about perspective. True joy is not based on circumstances. Now listen, if somebody buys your coffee tomorrow, or you hit every green light, into the, or you get a raise or whatever, amen, praise God, be happy. But joy is going to come from your walk with Jesus. Joy is going to come when you go, I really know Him. I'm not playing church. I'm not just going through the most. I know Him. and He knows me. And come what may, I got joy. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. You remember that one? If you grew up in church, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. It's going to go on the radio, so hey, amen. True joy is not about circumstances. The key to lasting contentment is found in your relationship with Jesus. Relationship. This is divine perspective that Paul wants to communicate to us. Now, if you're taking notes, Philippians, we're going to start it, we'll start verse 1 next week, but Philippians is divided into four ways. You ready? 
Jot this down because it'll help you go through. In chapter 1, we're going to find joy in all circumstances, even suffering. Wait a minute. Time out, Pastor. I want to go to a church that, that, that doesn't talk about suffering, and I want to go to a church that is just um, motivational. That's not the Bible. I think we can be motivated, but we need the true Word of God, and you can find joy even in suffering. And chances are, if you live a length of time, you'll run into some suffering, some heartache. Number two, chapter two, we're going to find joy in serving, in serving. Number three, we're going to find joy in faith. And then number four, we're going to find joy in giving. Joy in giving. That's going to be fun because, because we're going to take up an offering every Sunday during Philippians chapter 4. And you all better be happy to give. And you better not be doing this. I'm kidding. But it's more than money. It's giving of your time and your talents and your wisdom. It's giving. You're going to find joy in giving. Wow. Wow. Let's break it down. Let's break it down for us. You ready? You and I can experience joy in suffering as Christ suffered. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Wow. Wow. You and I, we can experience joy knowing that Christ suffered just like us. When someone passes whom we love that are believers, we rejoice that they're in heaven. But it's us who have heartache because we miss them. And even when someone says, hey, you're going to see him again, that is true. But our hearts say, I want to see him now. I want to hear his voice now. But we can find joy even in that. Even in that. Number two, you and I, we can experience joy in service. Look at Philippians chapter 2, 17 and 18. It says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God, I want you all to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Do you want to find the greatest joy? Serve Jesus. Our attitudes should be, what can I do to help? What can I do to serve? What do you need? And do it joyfully. Do it joyfully. When the pastor says, hey, you know what? That, uh, that parking lot really needs to be swept, and you're like, okay. You get the broom, you're like, what are you doing? Serving Jesus. That's not joyful, is it? You see, we take the circumstance and we forget who we're serving. No, 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 I don't want to, I don't, I want to, I want to, I want to serve where people can see me. 
I, I know, I'll learn to play the guitar. Bless the Lord, oh my. And I want people, and it's like, no, 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 serve, just serve. What are you doing? Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, but you're sweeping the parking lot. Praise God. I mean, think about the mindset. I know you're all looking at me like, you're crazy. God's going to bring a car that's going to park right here. Somebody who loves Jesus, and I'm a part of that. Wow. Isn't that cool? When you're making coffee for the fellowship, or you're, or you're doing whatever it might be, it's joy. Number three, Christians, you and I, can experience joy in simply believing, Philippians 3, 9, and become one with Him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Him depends on our faith. Listen, you should go to bed tonight with smiles on your face and pure joy in your heart because you simply believe in Jesus. You simply believe in Jesus. Because you can, remember, remember, we're not, we're not pursuing, we're not chasing joy, we're experiencing it. And we experience it, how? By believing. I believe. My faith and trust is in Him. Death comes knocking at your door, and I pray it doesn't. If death comes knocking at your door, yeah. Okay. Lord, I'm ready. Why are you so happy? Well, I'm sad for my family. I'm sad for those I'm going to leave behind. But you're my ultimate. You're my ultimate. Now listen, I love my wife. And I would be sad. I mean, you, you realize that when Natalie was diagnosed with cancer, her biggest fear wasn't going to be with Jesus. It was leaving us. And rightfully so, because we probably couldn't handle it without her. Okay? Can you imagine if I didn't have the balanced Nathalie with my grandkids? They'd be walking with chocolate all the time. <laughs> They'd be walking with can't. You guys know me already. She has to, well, honey, don't, don't give up. She's the balance. You understand that. But her biggest fear was, I, I, I'm, and she would say stuff like, oh, one of these days I might be above the clouds. I'm like, stop saying that. You're not leaving me here alone. But ultimately, Ultimately, as much as I know she loves me, her heart loves Jesus. And she wasn't saying, I'm going to be above the clouds because I'm tired of you, dude. She was saying, I can't wait to be with my Savior. And you know what I had to come to realize? Is as much as she was my wife, she was God's daughter first. I acted really brave. I thought, well, Lord, you take her, it's okay. You're a God. And on the inside, I was crumbling. But you understand, that has to be the ultimate. Him. Him. And four, you can experience joy in giving. Look at Philippians 4, 18 and 19. At the moment, I have all I need. And more, Paul writes. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with, with Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. At this same God, who takes care of me, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given to you in Christ. So again, he's reminding us, listen, your wallet, your checkbook, your income, it's not yours. It belongs to him. Use it appropriately. Ask him. 
I went to this church where they passed the bucket plate five times. We don't do that. It all belongs to him. Just ask him, Lord, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to give? What do you want me to give? A friend of mine, a friend of mine just purchased, they're, they're, they're getting ready to purchase a new building for their church. And God just moved so miraculously. He called me up the other day and he's like, hey, you won't believe the congregation has given up to $700,000 for this new building. I didn't know we had it. I'm like, wow. You see, that's, that's the joy they find. Yeah, here. Just money. What, do we get? what am I going to do with it? Give it away. Give it away. No, Pastor Ben, we need to live. Well, you can live. Here's what I'm saying. Ask God. Ask God. Don't give begrudgingly. Don't give. Here, here, here's the money. Pastor, hey, you need to let go. Let go. All right. Take it. Don't give your money that way here. Keep it. You should have a joyful heart. You know what that word joyful means when he says, when you give that way? Do it hilariously. Hilariously. You should be laughing at the agape box. <laughs> Yes! What are you doing? Put in money! Why? You need more? Why? Because it's going to go for his kingdom. The problem is, guys, is that, is that men have taken that and they've abused it, and so we step back and go, oh, so all churches want is this and this and this and this and this. We should give hilariously. Once you give it, once you put it in the box, you've given it to God, not to our church. You understand that. Now, what the pastor does and the leadership of whatever church does with it, he's got to answer to God for that. But once you give, there it is. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to close. We're going to close. As mentioned before, one of the key themes in Philippians is joy. Joy, again, is mentioned in one way or another anywhere between 16 and 19 times in these four chapters. Now, don't tune out, church, don't tune out. Keep this in mind. Although joy is mentioned, he's going to emphasize, he's going, the emphasis is going to be on our mindset. So he wants us to have a different mindset. As we study this verse by verse, line upon line, I want you to note how many times Paul talks about, hey, remember, or think about this. Remember, because he wants to change our mindset. Warren Wearsby writes, and I quote, we can summarize the theme of the book as the Christ-like mind that brings Christian joy. In each chapter, Paul describes this kind of mindset Christians must have if they are to enjoy Christ's peace and joy. Certainly our thoughts have a great influence on our lives, and wrong thinking leads to wrong living, end quote. That was Warren Wiersbe. Here's the challenge I want to uh, challenge you, our church, with. Here's the challenge. Circumstances are going to happen every day circumstances, conversations, if you will. Take a moment when these happen. Take a moment. Don't answer right away. Don't react right away. Take a moment and ask yourself, what am I telling myself? What am I speaking to myself? Is it negative? Am I jumping on the bandwagon? Find out what God says about every situation or how we are to express gratitude and thankfulness and then definitely shut the mouth of the devil when he comes and tells you that you should do this or you should do this or you should do this. So the challenge is, something happens. Take a moment. 
okay, Lord, help me to find the good in this. Help me to find the good in this. Help me to see the good. Even though the circumstances may be... Here's our challenge, Lord, because, because what happens is I'm joyful right now, but I know if I react, the enemy could rob our joy. Have you ever... Here's, here's one of those. Have you ever... Have you ever been having a good day and you get home and you start talking to your wife or you start talking to your husband and then something negative, awful comes out of your mouth and it shuts down the whole mood and it shuts down and it, re- and it steals the joy of, of just being together? That's how we are. I've done it to my wife more than once. She's done it to me. We've just... We're living in a fallen world, and sometimes we just go, Bleh! and then it's like, oh. and it's like, the enemy just robbed us, just came in and robbed us. So the challenge is, like Paul says, okay, find thankfulness, find gratitude, think about this. How can I find joy? Even if you, you can't find any joy, say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me ask you one last thought. One last thought. I heard this on, on, on one of the social medias, but the guy says, hey, listen. I'm going to use Adam since he's in front. Hey, Adam. Hey, bro, listen. Why would you like it if I gave you a million dollars? You know what? You, you're, you're such a good friend. I'm going to give you $10 million. But you can't wake up tomorrow morning. Would you want the 10 or would you rather wake up? Exactly. So the point is, he's grateful for the life that God has given him, even if and when there's struggles. Because the money doesn't matter if we're not going to wake up tomorrow. So here's my point. When we wake up, we go, thank you, Lord. If you have nothing else to be thankful, you woke up. That's hard for me, because when I wake up, I'm like this. My wife's like, good morning! I'm like, I want to be thankful. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Now, now listen, for a Christian, it's a little bit different because if he didn't want to wake up, he'd be in heaven. So he's like, give my wife the money and I'll go home. No, don't think that way. Adam, look at me. Don't, don't think that way. Paul exhorts us to pursue joy. He doesn't pursue exhort us to pursue happiness. All believers should be happy. But Paul wants us to pursue pursue joy. Not to chase joy, but to practice joy. I'm so excited for God wants to do. Let me me summarize our study with this verse. You ready? Philippians 4.6 Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. You ready? Here's our motto. Don't worry. Be holy. See, the world says, don't worry, be happy. And Paul says, don't worry, be holy. Amen? Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You for Your great love for us. We thank You, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, honestly, I'm a little scared, God, because I've challenged the church to take every thought captive to 
um, to take every circumstance and try to find the good in it, Lord. To find how beautiful you are in everything, Lord. I'm not very good at that, Lord, and I know none of us are here. But Lord, we exhorted the church, we exhorted the people that they need to know you. And Lord, I know that my church right here wants to know you even more. But I wonder, Lord, if there's anyone here that hasn't even started. And I pray for them right now. I pray that you would begin knocking on their hearts, God. That you would begin to speak to them. That they need to know you. That they don't know you. Hey, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I wonder if you're that person. Like you know a lot about God, but when I was saying things in the Word, you're going, I'm not sure if I really know Him. You were talking about things like intimate, personal, and God is my friend. I don't, I don't feel that, Pastor. If I'm, being, if I'm being super straight with you, Pastor, I feel like I'm a million miles away from God. Well, listen, you might feel like you're a million miles away from God, but I've got good news for you. You're one decision from coming back to Him. You see, the God of the universe followed you all the way to church. And He's sitting and He's knocking on your heart and He's saying, hey, you don't have to live this way anymore. You can know me intimately, personally. Your life can be different. But my God is such a gentleman, He'll never force Himself on you. He stands and knocks, but you've got to open the door. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation to say yes to him. I love the fact that God allows us to become believers, and we don't have to be beaten, we don't have to be put in prison. He gives us a choice to walk in him in such beautiful grace. But you have to open up your heart. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I would ask, how many of you here today Feeling the weight of the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to be saved. I want, a, I want a relationship with God. How many of you would say that? Would you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you? Say, Pastor, would you just pray for me? God bless you, sister. Anyone else? God bless you, brother. I see you in the middle. Anyone say, I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Anyone else? Oh, thank you, Lord. Anyone else say, Jesus, I'm ready to come home. See, it's not about joining a church. It's about a relationship with the God that created you, and he has amazing plans for your life. But you've got to surrender. You've got to make that, you've got to make that, that step. You've got to take that step. So I'm going to give you just one more opportunity. You're praying. Feel the weight. Say, Lord, is it me? And then all you got to do is lift your hand and I'll see you. I've already seen two. God bless you. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for these hands that were raised. I thank you for their commitment, Lord. Lord, it is a strong, serious commitment. And so, God, I thank you. Father, when we built this church, we put Scripture right under this area for many people that would get saved. And so I'm praying for those that raise their hand that they would, they would follow you.
Okay, if you raised your hand and you're serious about God, would you would you just pray this prayer? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Prayers, words alone aren't sufficient to save, but this is a prayer that you can pray with all of your heart, and it's just your confession to follow Jesus. And would you say something like this? And you can say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've walked away from you. I feel far from you, God. But I'm here now, and I feel your Holy Spirit tugging at me. Like Lydia, I heard the voice of Jesus in me, and so I thank you. Father, forgive me for my sin. I repent for my unbelief, and I choose to follow you now. So I'm opening up my heart, God, and I'm asking you to come inside. I'm asking you to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my Savior, to be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.